Hey, thank you guys for coming out today, braving the extremely cold weather and uh, sliding out your driveways if you didn't get out there and shovel them. We're really glad you came out today to finish up a series that we started back in the very first week of January called On Your Mark. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a series we've been doing really to get ourselves individually, you and us, uh, ready for all that God has planned for us in 2013. Just some things that we might want to consider or do or think about just so that God can use us in all the various ways that he would like to do as we live out this year with him. Greg, it's it's been a great series. I don't think you're on. I told them to do this because I wanted people to hear me more than you. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You might be messed up. I don't know. This is the third week in a row for you of technical problems. It is. It's, it's user error. There we go. It's me. It's me. All right. So uh, the reason I'm really excited about today, Greg, is up to this point, we've been talking about individual ways to be on our mark. Right. We believe that God has a remarkable plan for each of us. And as a church, we like to really push people to explore that because we think it's a beautiful thing. And once you get kind of bit with it, you'll keep going. But today we're going to turn the corner just a little. And we're not going to just focus on the individual things that God has for us that you can do on a, like a totally private level. We're going to be talking about the group, all of us, how God can leverage his plan for all of us in a way that supersedes our wildest expectations. It's a pretty dramatic picture that he paints of what people can do when we come together and we submit ourselves individually to him, but then together we submit ourselves to him and allow him to work in our lives. So today it's really all about the group. Yeah, exactly. This is the point in the life of every church, really, in the United States where things start to normalize again. Your kids, if you have them, they're in school, so calendars are starting to get set. Most of the vacation time is over, other than people who like to maybe get like that middle of winter vacation in so they don't get so depressed. But things are kind of normalizing. So every year right around this time, we like to get up and just talk about some things that we do as a congregation to make sure we're, as a group, like you said, in the right place, doing the right thing so that God can maximize his impact on this world and through us. And so I have an illustration that's an analogy, and it breaks down at some point, but um, I wanted to share with you this morning, um, I got a couple boys uh, who play baseball, um, and they're spectacular. They're the best baseball players you've ever seen. Well, <laughs> over, over the last few years, they've played rec league baseball, which is fun. Uh, it's, rec league baseball is kind of the, the lower rung of baseball teams. There's nothing wrong with it, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You still play by the same rules and that sort of stuff. But the way rec league baseball works is... Practices start for rec league baseball maybe four, six, eight weeks before the season begins in spring. And there's usually a practice a week. And the teams get together and they learn some good basic skills. And by the end of all that and midway through the season, at least by the end, the team kind of comes together. Everyone has a good time. You do keep score, so it's not that kind of league. But it's just, it's kind of, it's baseball general. Structured play. Structured play. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this year, uh, my boys, like I said, they are spectacular. And so we decided, and they along with us decided to be smart if they kind of went up to uh, one of the next levels of baseball play. So we put them, uh, signed them up, had them try out for select baseball teams. So if you have... It's a great marketing plan, by the way. Call it select. Make parents pay a whole lot more money to think their kids are special. That's exactly right. I wish I would have thought of that. Well, you didn't. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, the the fees go from $50 a year to like $1,000 a year. But one of the things I have noticed over the last, well, several months, because... They start practicing in the winter. They started practicing right around Thanksgiving. Is the amount of energy and effort and 
special training that goes into a select baseball team player that doesn't happen in a rec uh, league player. So I was sitting last night with one of my sons at their training, and um, it's two hours. It happens two to three times a week. And they're learning things like not what you would have maybe heard in rec league, which is, hey, the ball's coming to you. Make sure you get your glove in front of your face so you don't get killed. Or keep your eyes open when you swing the bat. Right. Not basic <laughs> stuff like that. They're right. learning things like if you play the outfield, what, what do you do the minute the ball comes off the bat in terms of which way do you turn your hips? That kind of detail. What, what if you're playing shortstop is the first step you take with what foot and how far away from your body do you take it? And do, they're doing drills like this. In fact, they've been doing drills like that since right around Thanksgiving. Hours and hours of practice of not swinging a bat and making sure you don't get killed, but very detailed work of the body so that they can be fully ready to play at this higher level of baseball. It's unreal what they do. It's probably a little overboard. They probably don't need that much, but they're just learning how to be excellent baseball players. Now, they... We're athletes anyway. They're fairly good, like I said. I think they're better than probably what they are. But now they're putting with that athleticism some skills and some talents and honing those and practicing them so that they can become the best baseball players that they can be. And so today, we want to talk about what we can do individually so that as a corporate body, we can be the best team that God can field in this greater Cincinnati area where he's planted us. So we've got some very practical things for you to consider today. We, we really do. And like Greg said with this analogy with his sons, um, who are pretty good ball players, in all, in all honesty, um, they've had to individually engage a, a higher level of, I'm going to use a word that doesn't get a lot of positive airplay these days, but they've had to engage a certain level of discipline, mm-hmm. self-discipline, parent-imposed discipline, coach-imposed discipline, in order to not just individually be on their game, because individuals don't win baseball games, do they? No. No, it's the team, right? Yeah, I mean, you can be the best shortstop in the world, make the best plays, the ESPN top 10 kind of plays. You can have the highest batting average with the most home runs, but a person can't win a baseball game. You have to have a baseball team, hopefully all operating on a very high level to play at a high level to do all that that team can do to be maximized as a team. So, yeah, it's not an individual thing. The greatest impact in this world comes when groups of people rally together around a common cause or a common vision. They hone their skills. They get trained. They insert a little discipline and practice into their lives, and that's when good things begin to happen. Greg, it's true in marriages, individually. I mean, one person in a marriage cannot make a great marriage. They, they can pave the road as far as they can, but eventually it takes two, right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen your wife try that for years. <laughs> it, it happens in families where you've got to, on occasion, get together like we're doing at the beginning of this year with this message series and say, I think maybe we need to lean in a little bit as a group because maybe we're not doing something well or maybe we need to maximize something over here, spend our money better, spend better time, talk better amongst each other. And so you, you have these moments when you pull together and you say, all right, individually pay attention, but then as a group, here's where we're going. Now, for us as a church, this is just very important because you see this from the Bible. Think, think about this. If you know anything about the Bible, if not, let me kind of catch you up with, with why this matters today for us. When Jesus was walking the earth, here was his basic invitation. Uh, you can have a relationship with God because I accept you. You can have a relationship with God not based on anything you say or do. You can have a relationship with God not based on your merits or your heritage, but simply by accepting the truth that I give you. So no matter where you come from, no matter where you're 
think you're going, you can just receive my grace. And he went around telling this to all these individual people. But he didn't just do that, did he? He called them together as a group. And he said to the group at some point, now individually you've experienced some pretty amazing stuff. But I'm about to blow your socks off. I'm going to allow you as a group do something that's bigger than any one of you will ever be able to do. And together you're going to be able to take this message that God has brought into the world that he's not angry that he loves people, that you can have a relationship with him based on grace, and that has huge implications for every area of life. And as a group, you can take this message and share it with the world. And beyond just sharing a message, you can create a sense of home, belonging, welcome, and warmth so that other people get to experience what you've experienced on an individual level. Acceptance by me, Jesus would say to his disciples. You can create a group now where other individuals can experience that. And it's a powerful thing. And the church, that's what Jesus called his group. The church is so much bigger than any one person. And its potential is, well, it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yeah. To me, one of the most amazing things about God that shows how much he loves us, that shows how much he wants our life to be of value. It's one of the most humbling things. It's also one of the most scary things. But God's plan always was to use people, you and me and generations that have gone before and generations that will come after to do his work in this world. The key component of that plan, of course, was Jesus becoming a human, coming down, dying, coming back to life, covering our sins. That that was the key component. But in his master plan from the beginning of time always was that we get to play a part in sharing the most amazing, wonderful, love-filled story this world has ever known to the people that God allows us to be in relationship with, to the circles in our lives, to our families, to our extended families, to our co-workers, to our neighbors. That was his plan of how to get the word out. And like I said, it's humbling, it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's significant, it's a little scary as well. And there takes a certain amount of boldness to really live out the full dream that God has for your life. He, we believe, has a spectacular plan for you One so that at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, man, there was significance in how I spent my days and my hours and maybe sometimes even my nights. But that doesn't come by accident. It doesn't come easy. It wasn't cheap. It still isn't cheap. It takes sacrifice and discipline and practice. If you want to move from the rec team, which is good enough. I mean, it's good enough to just kind of be saved or to have put your faith and trust in Jesus or to have made Jesus your Lord and Savior. That kind of gets you on the team, but there's so much more that God wants for you, and it really is one of the primary reasons we started this church. Is there's so much more that we want for you as well. Yeah. We want you to fully realize that dream that God has for your life, but it doesn't come without its challenges. It doesn't. And Greg, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about this later, we're going, to, we're going to begin this message series about marriage. The reason we want healthy marriages isn't just so that you can enjoy your marriage. We want you to. It isn't just because it's God's dream for you. But with healthy marriages, there becomes a heightened potential to impact the world around you. You're not worrying and spending all this emotional energy. I, I, I watch Greg, and, and he watches me because we're brothers. We get to do life somewhat together. It's a great joy. But I watch him uh, take joy in watching his sons develop as ballplayers. And so I watch him as he leans in with them, as his sons have very hard conversations at nine and, you know, uh, how old is Grayson? 13 years old. Nine nine and 13 years old, having hard conversations with coaches about what to do and how you did it wrong. Very brutally honest things that aren't necessarily fun for a kid. But I watch dad and mom take joy in that because they know that those conversations 
are helping that individual kid get better at something the kid wants to do that he has no idea in and of himself what to do. He just knows when he gets done playing the game, he wants to look back and go, I did the best I could. And together as a team, we won. And that's what happens, right? Teams win games. And you know what happens when you lose. You know whose fault that is, right? That's the coach's fault. That's the way that works. That's that's just just like in churches, right? It's always the pastor's fault. But when we look around this church, one of the things that gives us greatest joys, and not to like overly stretch a metaphor about parenting, is to watch individuals who've come along and said, I've been changed by Jesus, and I want to give back in a way that helps people experience what I've experienced. I haven't learned it all, but I have something I can give. I can't solve every problem, but I can solve a few. And I can join together, and my peace and their peace will be greater than any one piece of us. When we see that happen, that's what really lights our fire. It wasn't that Greg and I get to bring the message that makes us excited. It's doing this with a whole slew of people, score, literally in our church, scores and scores. It's like a few hundred people make this thing happen in a given month. And that is the joy, and that is the picture that God has for us. Because right. This image in the Bible of a group coming to do, to do something, that's just central to what church is all about. Yeah, and it's not just us. This isn't just something that's been happening over the last few years for us or Eight the years, last in our case. You know, few years of the modern church. It's been happening since Jesus established the church on earth. Now, all the way in your Bible, back in the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, it's the fifth book, it's the one that talks about the establishment of group practice of following Jesus, the right. church. And there are a lot of great stories about how for years now, people have been trying to figure out how they can use their time, their energy, their gifts, their skills, their talents, all for the furtherment of God's great story in this world. And so today, we want to challenge you to join in that that great river that's been flowing if you're not already in it. And maybe you're kind of in it, but you're kind of on the side where the stream's moving really slow. We want to just kind of kick your raft a little more into the middle of the stream, at least challenge you to consider to do that so that you can, at the end of your days, when you're maybe laying on your deathbed, if you have time to even think about it, have the internal security, the great feeling, the emotion that I did all I could, and it was significant, and it mattered. And it didn't just matter for me. I didn't just have a great life for me. What I did had an impact on other people, not only for the here and now, right. but for eternity. Right. That's the good news of the gospel. Right, it really is. So I want to take you to a place in your Bible now where this idea of transitioning from like individuals to the group really becomes apparent. And the message of Jesus in this part of the story has begun to like catch some momentum. And what began with a group of people who shared a common heritage, they were all Jewish by heritage, they had a common heritage, a common knowledge base, a common set of experiences, a a common text, was now breaking past that boundary to reach people who didn't know the text, didn't know the culture, didn't know the buzzwords. And it was moving from being a Jewish movement of people who were putting their faith in Jesus to now being a movement of the other non-Jewish people, the Bible calls them Gentiles. And this created all kinds of challenges. Now here's something you know intuitively. That when you step out of your comfort zone, that's difficult. It's just tough. There's a person in this room that on some level wouldn't rather have everything the way they like it, people they know, people who know them. And this was true exactly in our Bible. So God saw fit to include this little snippet of truth to encourage all of us that struggle with that to want to just kind of keep it with us. So in your Bible, Acts chapter 15, Jesus' brother Uh, James. You know, Jesus was the son of God, but he was entrusted to human parents who later had kids. James is one of those kids. So James and Jesus grew up in the same house. Uh, 
Greg and I grew up in the, in the same house. I can't imagine looking at Greg and thinking one day, he must be the son of God. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't imagine. But James did that. James looked at Jesus and said, this, this guy who I know is the son of God. And James becomes a major leader in the church. And one day they were having a major leadership discussion about how do we make sure that this message of Jesus isn't bound by our own preferences, by our own heritage, but it really does do what Jesus said it would do, circle the globe. So in Acts chapter 15, here's what it says. At the end of the discussion, James says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for them. Whatever we can do to lower the barriers, to open the door, that's our task. Whatever we can do to make it easy for people who don't share our heritage, don't have our common text, don't know our buzzwords, whatever we can do to make it easy for them, that's what we've got to do because this church thing is bigger than us. Now, this, this passage has become a, like a mantra for us. We, we've said it a hundred different ways. But we started this church when we first started talking about it so that we can invite friends who are far from God to consider moving closer to him. People who didn't like church to think about maybe being a part of a life-giving group of people. We started this church so that individuals, not just a handful, but that dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people could get bit by the bigger vision that life is about more than just them and what they know and their common experiences but it really is about something that God's doing dramatically in this world. Yeah, and so for years now, literally, we've been challenging you and everyone else who's ever walked through this door on any given Sunday to take their next bold step with Jesus, whatever it might be. We know probably the the biggest step you can take is that one where you cross the line of faith is one way to say it, where you put your faith and trust in Jesus, where you make Jesus your Lord and leader, where you get saved, to use the word from our tradition. That's like the boldest step you can take, but no matter where you're at, maybe you're far away from that step, maybe you're far beyond that step, but every week try to challenge you with an opportunity to move more into the stream, to consider being a little further down the road that God has planned for your life than you could have ever imagined you would be at that given point. And every week for you to leave here with something to do about that. But like you said, it takes a certain amount of boldness to do that. It's not easy and it doesn't come natural. Yeah, the good news in the Bible is there is this reality that people want that, that people are receptive for that. I think it goes back to this internal seed that God plants in all of us. Every person I've ever known has a little bit of what I'm about to describe. There's a sense that you want to do something important in life. You want to be significant. And it's not, it's not the egocentric, I want to be something significant. That's what I'm talking about, corrupted. It's that I, I know I was put here for something more. I can't just be here for myself or to maybe bring a few additional lives into the world or to get, get my uh, needs met or, and my wants met and maybe even a little bit more than that. Everyone seems to have this common desire that they want a, to do a little more, to play a part in a bigger Role to be part of a grander narrative or a bigger story, right? So that at the end of days, it seems like it was like it was worth it. That's exactly right. And and the cool thing for us, Greg, is we get to see people who sometimes it happens in their teenage years. They begin to think, unlike you know a lot of us did in the room, they they get an early start on thinking this life is about more than me, and I cannot just be selfish with what I've been given. I've been blessed to be a blessing. We see people in their fifties sometimes look back and go, 
All right, I've kind of hit the marks that I thought were going to bring me the satisfaction, but here I am, and now I'm empty, or, or, or I hear this one, I'm alone. I feel lonely, and I'm surrounded by people. Is there more to this? We see moms who've raised their kids or are in the middle of raising their kids. They're thinking, are we just trying to get them out of the house? What are we really doing here? We've seen people who have been married for five years and thought they were going to have the perfect marriage, and now they've hit a roadblock, and they're starting to ask, is there something more? All of those things that cause a people to start thinking, is there something bigger here, is what you're talking about. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes said it this way, and this, this has huge implications, that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts, that we long for something more. That, that, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, in, in the Bible, in Acts, and we're going to read this to you in, in just a moment, but it's clear that it doesn't come easy. Right. I mean, There's a price to pay. If you're going to move from rec league ball to select team, right. you're going to have to be a certain amount of driven or at least engaging the process. Other people might have to drive you, but you've got to engage the thing. Right. And even though in the world we live in today, we're busier, there are more things to do. Both parents a lot of times work yeah. in the house. The kids are always at school, it seems like, uh, in, on sports teams and involved in every kind of curricular activity you could possibly imagine. It does seem like we're busier, but... It's always been a challenge, even when life wasn't so busy. I always imagined, I know it's not true because of my training in seminary, but I always imagined back like in the Bible days, people really did nothing. Right, they, they sit around, they're kind of bored. Oh, there's a Jesus thing we can engage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I'll take care of the sheep, and then we might as well do Jesus. There's really right. nothing else to do around here. <laughs> right, right. But it wasn't the fact. I mean, people have always been kind of busy, and it's always had to have been a challenge, something you've got to set your mind to. There have always been roadblocks and hindrances. There's always had to be a certain amount of discipline to fully engage all that God has for you. That's true for marriages, families, and churches. So yep. I want to take you to the last couple sentences in the book of Acts, like the last couple. Now, here's the setting. The Apostle Paul's in prison. He's in Rome, and he's beaten into Rome. He's physically showed up in Rome before the charges against him have actually shown up, and they can't just let him go. So he's literally shackled to a desk or to a chair, and all he can do is receive guests. So he has some helpers with him, and he sends them all over the city. He's like, bring me every major leader, every religious leader, and get them here to me. I want to talk to them. I want to welcome them. I want to have a conversation about Jesus. So even when he's in chains, it's not easy, in other words, he's still propagating this message of Jesus because it's the thing that he wants to do. And he is a part of leading what James had talked about, leading the Gentile movement, making the message of Jesus go further than they, anybody ever thought it would go. Even when Jesus said to the other most parts of the earth, most people heard that as like as far as we know, but right. Jesus had it much further than that. It was going to go way around the world. So the very last couple sentences of the book of Acts, which tells the story of how the church began, here's what it says. Therefore, Paul is talking here. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Paul says, when this message goes out, there are going to be people that we don't even know outside the boundaries and they're going to hear it and respond. They're not just not going to hear. They're going to actually listen to it. When I read this passage, I want to think, how did he know? Did he have any sense that almost 2,000 years later here in the suburb of Cincinnati, we would gather And we would be the Gentiles who have listened and responded. I mean, Paul is talking here in a profound sense of all that God is going to do. People are going to hear and listen. It's that big of a deal. And then he says, for two whole years, the writer's talking about Paul. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed those who came to see him. Remember, he's chained, and he can't leave, and so people come. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's our phrase. With all boldness... And without hindrance. 
He gave himself fully boldly, and then wherever he could tear down walls, open doors, he did that to get this message out. And this became what his life was consumed with. Did did you know that Paul was a tent maker? That's how he made his money, but he gave his life to this. And it's just so beautiful, the picture of how his life takes on meaning. So here we are, a couple thousand years later, still talking about the influence of this guy, who was a normal guy, at first hostile to the message of Jesus, and then ultimately is changed, transformed, and gives himself, empowers others, and it becomes a beautiful picture, I think a, a, a picture of what each of us are destined to do and become, something more than we could ever think or imagine. Yeah, and it's one reason we saved this message for the end of the series, We wanted to spend the first three weeks talking about you and what you might want to consider as you press into what God has for you before we talk about it collectively as a body because it does take a certain amount of boldness. It does take a certain amount of prioritizing your life, getting rid of the hindrances for for the thing to really start clicking. But it's kind of an internal thing that has to happen, I think, before it can happen as a corporate body. It's kind of like the individual members of the team have to get in shape and ready and understand their position before it can fully work the way God wants it to in the entire group, or in our case, in the local church. And for us, we thought it might be nice to share with you just some of the internal thoughts that we have that kind of get our minds around the idea of how important this message is and why it's so critical that we plug into God's plan for our lives. There are things that you might want to consider if you're sitting there today thinking, I hear you and I want it, but I don't feel it. For us, these are some of the emotional things that are behind this longing, this burning, this burden, to use a biblical word, for lost people, for people who need to be drawn closer into Jesus. So we just wanted to share those with you. If you feel like I'm there mentally, but I'm not there emotionally, these might be be two or three things that you want to jot down, maybe on your uh, uh, Connect card or maybe on your life groups, uh, small groups catalog as you're sitting there. And like most truth, none of these take a whole lot of explanation, but they're they're, they're profound. Right. They're weighty. So I'm going to share with you three like concepts, and then we're going to share four quick ideas. So under the idea of three concepts, here's the big heading. The church, we believe, is God's idea, and he invites us to boldly be a part of it for our generation. Someone has said that the church is just one generation away from being ineffective. So God calls each generation in a renewed way, you for yours and your area of influence, you engage. And then under that big umbrella, here's our three big ideas. We believe, one of the reasons we started this church, that everybody spends forever somewhere. I believe every person I encounter that walks through our doors here, that my kids go to school with, that we engage when we go out to eat, every single person I lay eyes on are going to spend eternity somewhere. And we think that that then gives us an appropriate sense of the stakes of what's really going on and why it is that Jesus said this church thing matters. And yes, you can go to heaven kind of outside the formal church. Of course you can, because it's based on grace. And you don't ever have to darken the doors of a church, and you can go to heaven, spend eternity there. But it's a much bigger and more beautiful picture than that, because every single person will spend eternity somewhere, and many of them never even stop to consider it. So that's one of our big deals. And I think that reality, for most people, I I think it's true. We know that for ourselves. And those quiet moments in the middle of the night when you just start thinking about things that aren't normal to think about when, you know, going through your normal work routine, you might think about eternity and, you know, how much it matters for you and how you want to make sure you get all that right. It matters to your immediate family. I know for my wife and my kids, I think about that for them. I want to make sure I do all I can to help out so that they are drawn as much into God's plan that he has for their lives as as they possibly can be. 
It matters a little bit, but maybe not quite all the time for your extended family, right? But there's something about the further you get out from yourself and the circles of life that you engage in, where I think, at least for me, I don't think about that quite as much. I mean, so I got, I got myself, I got my immediate family, I got my extended family, then the people I work with. In my case, it's a little easier because I work at a church, but for a long time I Most did. of us are in a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and you know, Most. The, the times that I was involved in a career outside of church, I can't say that that was constantly on my mind. I right. can't say it was often on my mind. I don't even know if I would say it was sometimes on my mind. Every now and then it was on my mind. Yeah. As I was sitting last night beside a couple dads and a mom whose kids are on one of my team's select team, the thought, had I not been thinking about the message for today, it probably wouldn't have crossed my mind because from about Thanksgiving to Christmas when I sat by the same parents, it didn't. <laughs> but when it does, there's something that happens internally, emotionally, something that happens to your heart that changes. Yeah, and I think there's a certain amount of boldness that comes when that realization dawns on you in the moment. Yeah. So our challenge today is to know that, to consider it, to try to push yourself to think about it, maybe at times when you typically wouldn't think about it, because we think that will begin a heart transformation that will make a difference in your actions. Yeah, it's why James says we got to do everything we can to get rid of the hindrances so that more people can come to Jesus. Here, exactly here's our right. second big idea. We really believe that Jesus is the answer for our problems. I, I know we just came through an election season, and some folks in our church engaged that um, robustly. Um, and we're grateful for that. I had to have a couple of conversations with some people and just say, look, chill just a little. Have your opinions, but, you know, timeliness and all that. And people get very up, upset and engaged and all that's good and deal and, and, and fine. It's a fine deal. But here's the truth, friends. Politics, no matter who's president, will never change a human heart. It won't. It will not make a difference for eternity. It won't. What makes a difference for eternity, the thing that Jesus started wasn't a government his government is not of this world. He started a church that has survived across every spectrum of every type of human governance. And the church will survive. And that's why we believe that giving yourself to eternal things matters. And the church is the holder of the message of Jesus. I am deeply, deeply um, involved in politics on a personal level with people over lunch and stuff like that. I, I'm just, I'm passionate about it. I know what our country should do and, and you should buy me lunch so I can tell you how to vote from here forever. I mean, that's where I, I know how this thing should go. But at the end of the day, that will not make a single difference in one human heart. But Jesus still changes people. And so we believe he's a really, really big deal. Here's our third one, and then you're going to talk about it. We believe that the local church has incredible power to make real change in our world. Yes, yeah, what I was talking about at the beginning. It's the way God planned it from the get-go. He didn't intend for people to do this individually because had he, it would have looked different just in the Bible. In the book of Acts, when the whole thing began, it became obvious that he intended groups of people to get together and to use the variety of different gifts and skills that God had given them to rally those things together to make greater impact. Just like we talked about with baseball, one person can't do it on his own. One person can't win a game no matter how great they are. The impact this world can have in the communities that you run in, the different circles that you're engaged in, is so much greater when groups of people get together and they can tap into their specialized gift and skill so that you can do your thing and someone else can do theirs and then collectively a, a, a beautiful picture is painted. It reminds me of the picture of Jesus that we have hanging out in the lobby 
the mosaic of Jesus. If you haven't read the sign, make sure you stop out there and do it. But 30 different families. 30 different families get together, and they create their two-foot-by-two-foot section of the picture of Jesus, not knowing what they're painting. They only know they're painting some grayscale colors. And at the end, the beautiful thing is it all comes together to create this mosaic of Jesus. Well, that's in large part the plan God had for this world. That's why we're not all wired the same way. We don't all like the same things. We all don't want to be involved in the same types of activities. God made us that way so that we could become passionate about certain things and together group passion could get hold and can make great impact in this world. That's exactly right. So we think if those are three really big truths, then there maybe there are four big deals that we wanted to very quickly walk through. We would call these the disciplines, kind of the fundamentals, if you will, that until individuals get this right corporately, we just can't do it. And the good news about our church is we're, we're doing it. I mean, we're not perfect by any means. You, you hang around here, you're going to know that. But we're doing it, and God is blessing us, and people are stepping up. So here's the first one. We feel like small groups are a big deal. The way we like to say it is that sitting in a row like this and opening your heart and ears to God's message, that's good. But getting in circles and discussing it, making friends who are encouraging you along the way, that's better. Rows are good. Circles are better. And so we're about to begin one of our three annual or three times a year um, tri- tri- trimesters. Trimesters. Thank you. I should say triannual. That's every three years. Uh, trimesters where we say to you, here's some small groups. And so Greg's going to tell you a little bit about that right now. Yeah, so if you've been around for a while and have experienced small groups, you probably know this. But a lot of you haven't, or maybe you've been around, but you haven't engaged. I just want to take a second, if you want to pull out that small groups catalog that was on your seat, and just kind of tell you how we do it and why we try to make it as easy as we we can for you to get engaged in a group, in a circle, so that the experience that you have of church isn't just in rows and you come here You might get here five minutes early to get coffee. You might say hi to someone you don't know during the meet and greet time, but then you pretty much leave and you never really engage. Small groups are meant to help fill that void, and we do them in a variety of different ways with intentionality so that whatever your passion area is, we might hit that. Now, it's a free market system, which simply means in our situation, we have people in our congregation, many of you sitting there today, who say, I would like to lead a group about, if it passes muster with the small group team, it gets put in the catalog. So these represent passions, areas, these groups, passion areas of different people that are probably sitting beside of you right now. Now, every group we do falls into one of three categories. Right. The this first is good. One, this is very helpful because it allows and celebrates that diversity of where we are in our different life stages. Right. And it really acknowledges that sometimes we need different input factors in our life. Yeah, and, and it, it might connect with a certain wiring that you have. So there are learning groups in your catalog. So once you get past the intro stuff, maybe down to page three or four, you're going to start seeing some groups. They're called learning groups. They begin with the letter L. Now, these groups are all about you coming together with groups of people in circles to study something, to learn something that maybe you didn't know. A lot of times they're Bible studies around a book of the Bible. Right. Um, sometimes they're book studies that have to do with the Bible or some biblical principle. This time around, there are a decent number of marriage groups because we're getting ready to kick off a marriage series. But they're all things that you might learn about around some biblical principles so that you can engage pushing your, your cognitive uh, ex, uh, muscles a little further than what they would do if you just came to church. Right. And in a group of people who maybe have a similar interest around growing in a similar thing. So the way you sign up for any of the groups as I'm talking is you pull out your Connect card. On Next Bold Step C, you just simply write the number of the group on the little line in Next Bold Step C. Now, when you write the number of the group, a couple things are probably going through your mind. One is, 
well, I'm not sure I can make all the dates or I'm not sure how committed I can be. I want to encourage you today to go ahead and write it down if you think you would like to try. What's going to happen is you're going to email from the leader. They're going to give you some details. And you can navigate that as life comes and goes. But if you feel like one of these is connecting with where you're at, go ahead and write it down and at least begin the process. You can always back out, but at a certain point, these things are rolling and you can't really get in. Right. So learning groups, there are a lot of opportunities for you there uh, if you'd like to choose one. So if I wanted to choose five Fridays with Paul, led by Fred and Claire Buckley on Friday evenings, I would simply take my card, write L04 on the card, knowing that this week I'll be getting an email from those leaders telling me some more details about the groups. All right, so those are learning groups. Also, we have connecting, connecting groups. Connecting groups, which the biblical word for that is fellowship. But we believe it's important to have friends. you got to have friends who are leaning in the, re- in the same direction as you. And when you're feeling a little tired, can encourage you, can speak life into you, and, and kind of just help you along. And so if you would like to have some Christian friends... It doesn't mean everybody shows up in the groups of Christian. That's okay with us. But in general, we're all kind of trying to go in the same direction. The Bible says that the early church gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, kind of what we're doing now, but also to the fellowship. And they built relationships. I know this. If you don't have friends at church, eventually church will feel impersonal and you'll feel disconnected. So we do fellowship or connecting groups. They begin with the letter C in your catalog. And all you do is you find one of those that you want to do. You can sign up for a 1,000 of them. They're yeah. Only as many, many as you want. Yeah. And, and you can just go. And so, again, if you need to know more information, you sign up next step C on the card. And then the last category? Also, there are serving groups. And so these are opportunities for you to uh, do something. A lot of times, uh, I guess every time, they're somewhat need-based. Um, maybe they are groups that go out and try to meet a financial need or a social need uh, or a spiritual need even. So in the last section of your book, there are serving groups um, some that are going to Ronald McDonald House. There are some Matthew 25 opportunities. There is a group of people to get together and help send out care packages to college students. Um, also, past that section, still under the serving group opportunity, are different teams in this church that you might want to find out more about and consider being on. Those are still serving roles. You're just serving on a team that's trying to meet a spiritual need in the life of our church. So as many as you want to sign up for, feel free to do that. That's how you use this book. There'll be opportunities this week and the next couple. But go ahead and jot down what you think you might want to do and get it on your Connect card today. So big deal number one for us is small groups. Rows are good. Circles are better. Big deal number two is volunteering, or or we might call that serving. Here's what I know. I know I can't help everybody, but I can join with some others and help some. I really can. I cannot solve the world's problems. I used to try. A lot of pastors are susceptible to that, and it's, 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 a, it's a heartbreaking reality when you come face-to-face with your own limitations. But the good news is, is I can link arms with some, and we can do some pretty dramatic stuff. And that's kind of what's happened around here. We would like for you to think about this. What would it look like if you got bold about serving? You may not know this, but every single person at this church who serves, they're busy. It's not like we were sitting around twiddling our thumbs, singing worship songs, and somebody said we should probably think about starting a church. No, no, no. Everybody was busy. We had kids. Most of us were dual-income families, like two careers, trying to raise kids. And at the same time, there was this compulsion that life has to be about more than this, that God is doing something more. I cannot be selfish. I was blessed to be a blessing. So we wanted to carve out time to make a difference in other people's lives. Now, here's what I know about you. You need to get off the sidelines and get involved in the game, not because we need you, but because you need to do it. It's just true in every believer's life. If you want to experience drift spiritually, go a year and don't do anything tangibly or consistently 
or in a disciplined kind of way. Don't do anything for a year to actually serve somebody else. And one year later, when you've gone through that process, you will have experienced a wedge in your relationship with Jesus. It's just the way we're wired. We are the body of Christ, and each part matters, one member relating to another. And so, yeah, you can go to heaven without the church, and you can go to heaven without being on a team, of course. But you will not experience God's plan for your life. There will be a void. And so what we want you to do is we want you to give back in an area that you've been given to. Yeah, a couple of thoughts crossed my mind. You hit one. I just want to hit again. We don't need you to serve. Ben and I, the rest of the staff, the key volunteers here, if God leaves us at this size church or smaller from now till the day we die or Jesus comes and gets us all, we're good with that. That wasn't always true, but that's true now. Right. We want you to serve yeah. because it will change your heart and your life. It will. That, that's the first thing. And, and, and that's why, you know, my wife, for instance, we're busy. She got up this morning, braved the cold, brought my son here to serve early because we know he needs to serve. He wants to. We're going to lean in with that. We're going to carve out time. We're going to inconvenience ourselves to rally around this value because it will grow our hearts towards Jesus. Second thing, and you hit on I just want to hammer it home one more time. If you've been around this church for a while or another church for a while and you didn't serve, one of the most common excuses we hear and that I've experienced in my own life is that you're too busy. And that's just a lie from the devil. You probably are busy. I could take you to 20 to 50 volunteers in this church who are probably busier than you are. The reality is you might just need some priorities adjustments in your life. Think about what's important. Yeah. Think about what matters. Think about what matters forever. And then look at your calendar and see if those things align. If they do, you're probably good. However, my guess is that if you're not serving somewhere in the body of Christ, maybe not this church, but in the body of Christ, you're probably not living out the priorities you have if you're a follower of Jesus. I think that's just the reality. And like you said, the Bible, the metaphor the Bible uses is churches, we're the body of Christ. And the sad thing is we probably have dead limbs in our church and every church in America. You might be here because you were meant to be the thumb, the left-hand thumb of the body. And your lack of serving means our left thumb isn't working. doesn't mean we won't do good things. We're still going to walk and we're going to do things with our other nine digits on our hands and our ten on our toes. We still have a lung and a heart and everything else. Two lungs, hopefully. Uh, mm. But... We might be a little more impaired than we need to be. So consider, is God right. calling you to serve? Right. Um, 30 seconds on this one. Um, ladies, um, I know that sometimes when, like, your husband begins to serve, it puts a lot of extra burden at home. Uh, I just want you to think about this. What is the long-term payoff of your husband being free to serve in the body of Christ and being intricately connected with other men who are leaning in with Jesus? What's the long-term payoff for your kid? What's the long-term payoff for your marriage? And would it be worth it, even though it may require a few changes in the moment? All right, next, next one for us. Number three, this is the one that people get a little antsy about. Um, I, I, I do less, maybe, because I've been around it and had to confront it. It's giving. Um, churches don't move forward. It takes real money to do real ministry. And so what we've discovered around here is a little saying that goes like this, that my giving allows my church to show our community we want something for them, not from them. You know, a lot of people think churches are all about money. A few weeks ago, we had a guy walk in our auditorium who was kind of checking out the building. He looked at the stage, and I don't understand this, but obviously it shows some wounding and brokenness in him. He looked at our stage, and he says, that stage right there, you guys designed it to get people to give more money. <laughs> I, I don't even know what he meant. 
If look, we had known, we'd have done it. I was going to say, if there's, a, if there's a book out there that tells you how to do that, how to design it, I don't know. But obviously he had some kind of burrs in his heart right. uh, about that. Here's the deal. We don't want your money simply because it helps us. But that's not it. We would like you to think about giving because we believe that God has given us a unique opportunity in this city. And sometimes the limitation is financial. And so when we think the, about, about money around here, our, our heart goes like this. God, you've blessed us, and we just want to give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with. And what God has called our church to is pretty dramatic. And it's going to take volunteers. It's going to take a servant's heart, a group of people gathering together. But it also takes just raw money to make that happen. And the good news, you want to know the good news? That all the money that we need to have to do all the ministry that God's called us to do, it's all in the bank. The problem is, it's just in your bank. Um, that's just the truth. It's just the truth. And so we believe that it's normal for believers in Jesus to not give everything that God has blessed them with. Think about this. If you really get this, that everything you have is a blessing from God, we don't, we're not asking for all of that. We're asking you to consider giving an investment in the church you call home, the church where you clap when people get baptized, the one where you drop off your kids. And for many of you, your kids eat more in snacks than you give. That's just the truth. And um, so I'm, we're not mad about that. You know, we have people who are generous and love to do that. We just think it's normal for believers to give back a portion. And so some of you have done that. You, you, you're a percentage giver. You've decided in a disciplined way, every time you get paid, you're going to give a portion of that to God's work here at this local church. Without you, we're dead in the water. And yet many don't. I mean, there's a, it's about 20% of us carry about 80% of the load. And we're glad to do it. We'll do it till Jesus comes back. But if you have a job that God's blessed you with and you have more than just you need to survive, so you're taking a vacation here and there and you're buying a TV and you're spending some money on some nice clothes, if that's true for you, I can't imagine why any believer in Jesus who has more than they need wouldn't want to give some back in a disciplined way. In the Bible, you would have just been, it would have just been foreign. Everybody knew that you give back some of what God's blessed you with. And so we'd like for you to consider that. What would being bold about your giving, taking a step this year, what could that look like? Yeah, what we say about this when we talk about it three, four times a year is if you can't give to this church because yeah. of any reason, uh, maybe you don't fully like the leadership or you think, you know, the haze is too much or that sounds too loud. It's okay. You should go find a church that you love so you can give to it. That's how serious we are about giving. This isn't about four corners or us. This is about your heart. The Bible is clear that where your money is, where your treasure is, is your where your heart set. is. And so if you want to do a quick heart check the way God does, take a look at your checkbook or your online registry. That will give you a good indication of where your heart is. It's a good place to start. It's, really, it's much easier, Greg, for us to hear comments from people who've demonstrated a heart to be with us. And we listen to everybody. We try to be those people who lean in. Right. But the truth is, is that some people just aren't vested, and yet right. they have wildly important opinions about what church should be and do. And we say, go somewhere where you can actually invest, and then maybe you know, you'll have a full place to be heard there. All right, the last one. I love this one, Greg. This one is my, this is the most exciting of all for me. It's, it's inviting. It's the principle of inviting. And here's the idea here, is that one of the reasons you have influence with people is to point them to Jesus. You have kids in part to point them to Jesus. You're working with people so that you can point them to Jesus. You play sports and you sit on bleachers next to parents in part so you can, to some degree, God has given you influence. And in that influence with other people, he wants you to use what you have to point them towards Jesus. And we're going to be doing that in a big way here um, 
Now listen, this is just a big deal. There was no such thing as a believer in the early church that wasn't in some level engaged with helping other people find Jesus. So four times a year, without apology, we push you to engage evangelism. We call them big days, big evangelism days. One's coming up next week. Now, the reason we don't push you every week to do that is because... It's not sustainable, really. It's not. I mean, it gets exhausting. You, it becomes numb. You don't even hear it. I don't even hear it. Right. It's, it's just not possible to constantly engage it. But four times a year, without, with, with true boldness, we say to you, go to the various circles that God's put you in in life, whether that's your immediate family, your extended family, your work environment... The people you interact with maybe in Where sports, you already have influence. So we're not you, talking about just the strangers. Where you have influence and, and relationship. Right. And ask them to consider coming to your church. Now, the Bible, the last command Jesus gives in the Gospels is that we should go out and make disciples. And so there's a variety of ways you can do that. We think one easy one, the easy way to do evangelism is to invite people to church. Right. Because when they come here on those days, they're going to hear the gospel with clarity. Next week, you'll be preaching the gospel with clarity. Right, and just to kind of show our cards so you'll know, um, we'll be talking about marriage. But the truth is, a lot of our marriage issues deep down are spiritual. Some of them began when we were single, so we'll talk a little bit about singleness. But at the end of the day, I'm going to get people, I encourage them to turn towards Jesus as part of the solution for a healthy marriage. And that begins with that making Jesus the Lord of your life. Right, so we invite you to do evangelism that way. If you don't want to invite friends to church... You're still commanded to do evangelism, so figure out the way you're going to do it. Maybe you need to get really good at giving your testimony and inviting people to ask Jesus to be in their heart or some other form or fashion right. of that. But if you want to do it one easy way or maybe add this into your repertoire of evangelism techniques, just invite them to church on the big day. So it's next Sunday, both services. We're calling it Super Bowl Sunday. We're only doing that because it happens to be the Super Bowl day. Um, we think it's a time in life when most people are pretty much in a routine because school's set. And so we just picked the first Sunday in February to do it. We're kicking off a new series called Marriage Audibles, Don't Let Your Relationship Get Sacked. Yep. And so it's good for everyone, whether you're married or not. We figure if you're not married, maybe one day you want to be. If you're not married, you probably know some people who are, who aren't doing it right, and you can share some insight maybe if God opens the door for yeah. you. Maybe you used to be married and you want to maybe consider it again. Maybe you can learn a few things. But really it's about relationships and what the Bible says about how to be healthy in relationships that get intimate like marriages. Yeah. Uh, I want to take 30 seconds and tell you why I need you to invite somebody. This is my pastor's heart for you. Um, I know that when you come to church and you don't invite somebody, and that happens over months and months and months, you start to view your experience at church through the lens of what you enjoy and what you like. So I like the preaching. I don't like the music. It's this or that. And that's normal. Everybody, I do that. It radically shifts when I have a guest here. When Jill and I have invested in a relationship and we invite them, we know they're coming, everything is different for me. I walk in the door and the first thing I'm thinking is, these greeters better be friendly today. <laughs> I'm vested now. I start thinking, this coffee better be good today. The bathrooms better be clean. Check-in better go fine. They better not screw up the lyrics today because I am viewing now everything through the lens of what the person who I am hopeful will take a step towards Jesus, how, how the, he or she will experience that. I need you to invite somebody a couple times a year so that you can refresh your eyes. Now, I'm going to say something's going to sound like meddling, and I'm probably not talking about you, but the neighbor next to you. A lot of you complain about church, and your complaints are so myopic. That's just a friendly way of saying you have a big ego. 
And the reason you're that way is you have had way too long a gap since the last time you had a vested interest in somebody coming to this building or our old buildings and hearing the message of Jesus. So you only think, did I enjoy the sermon? You never stop to think, did somebody who needed to find Jesus today hear the sermon well? You only think through the music, did I like that song? And you never stop to think, did somebody who needed to move closer to Jesus today like that song? You never can actually put a face and a name on why we lean in to do what James said, remove the barriers so that they can follow Jesus, which means I hope you're happy. And we believe part of our mission is to grow people towards Jesus. That's why we're talking about this today. But a big part of Sunday morning, a big, not the only, but a big part is making sure that people who are far from God can come here and receive the message of hope with as many barriers removed as possible. And if you'll engage this process, it will keep your eyes sharp. It will keep your heart soft. And then when we need to engage the things that we need to engage because we're an imperfect church, the conversation goes radically different. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a few steps together today as a congregation. Would you grab your Connect card? And uh, we'll do that together. For us, next step A, it'll be true next week. Every week it's the same. Would you like to begin a relationship with Jesus? And if you would, here's how that goes. You just simply say in your heart, God, I'm a sinner. I want you to be not only the Lord of the universe, but the Lord of my life. The Bible says it this way. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that you'll be saved. Around here, we ask you to check next step A and then put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by so we can send you some information about it. How about next step B? Would you like to get baptized and go public with your faith? It's a celebration around here as we celebrate it, kind of the culmination of what God's doing in your life. How about next step C? Is there a small group you need to join? Just put the number in there, as Greg described, and somebody will contact you just this week. You won't have to go very long without getting some info. How about next step D? You're going to join with me and my wife. We've invited several and invite a friend to come with you next week. The way we do it, I'll be honest, we say, hey, if you'll come to the second service, we'll join you for lunch afterwards. It's our treat. You'd be surprised who come to church with you if you decide that you're willing to invest 30, 40 bucks in a meal. A um, lot of people. Um, some of you in this room are, are here because Jill and I have done that. It's, it's amazing what you do. Or we'll have our kids. We'll, we'll use them and say, hey, invite so-and-so over and we'll take you guys to Dave and Buster's after church. You'd be surprised how many kids will come to church with our kids for the uh, hope of going to Dave and Buster's afterwards. And then when they're here, we hit them in the head with Jesus. It's an amazing plan. It's an amazing, it works beautifully. And then how about next step B? Let's just go for the jugular here. I'll step up my giving. Now, unless some of you are doing good, you should feel affirmed in this conversation. Others of you, you're not. And honestly, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will convict your heart because for, some, for us, sometimes the barrier is financial and we could reach more if all of us did the part that God put on our heart to do. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a God of grace, of calling us to not just eternity, which is amazing and awesome, but you've called us to live life with you here, right now, in a way that makes everything different and better for us. God, our prayer right now is that you would continue to grow us to be the church that brings honor to you and sees lives changed. God, I pray for people who are committing their lives to you, And we'll do that next week. I pray right now for every person that's going to be invited, that you would soften their hearts, that you would give us boldness and courage. And I pray that next week we are sharp and on our game so that there is no hindrance to people feeling warmth and welcome in this place. No hindrance to them hearing with clarity the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.